This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Talking about spider webs over the break and identifying bite marks and such. Kels, I don't remember the last time I got bit by anything, but do your spiders bite in your house, in your home? Uh, I've been bitten. At least I believe it's by spiders. Nothing's happened to me, oh, so it's yeah. not like I've, you know. But and they do the double bite where you get two beside each other. Uh, and sometimes isn't that how to winter. tell? Usually That's that type of mark is a spider bite. No? Yeah, mm. two right beside each other, and and they they never hurt. I never notice them. It's not oh. like I feel like hey, and I have to say, hey, buddy, what are you doing? You don't pay rent. Get out. <laughs> Unless it's on I'm your supposed face, to be maybe. Here. Go. Well, yeah, and again, I know some some people will say, keep you know, don't don't get rid of all the spiders because anything else that creeps in, they'll get it. Yeah. Right? Oh, okay. So there's some use, but Ugh. hey, man, I pay rent. Don't get me. I know. I really don't want to be reaching around a spider web to get into my cupboard or something. You know, that's no, no. You got to get rid of that. It's, it's when they're in a nice obscure place. Like it's the nice, ceiling. You know, then they come out. Can't yeah. see it. Can't feel it. Very I don't know what's much. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the whole thing, because you don't want too much of that. You, the, I'm nothing like walking into a place and a little bit of webbing, you know, mm. where Spider-Man has already swung through to, you know, go after somebody, and you're like, ah, what's that on my face? Yeah, no, yeah. Oh. Anyways, we should probably stop hypothesizing about what our bites mean and just instead ask a professional, like Dr. Danielle Johnkind. She's our vet. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. Danielle, do people do this to you? Do humans come in with questions that have nothing to do with their pets and ask you about spider bites? (laughs) Yes, and my my response is always... No, no, I'm not a physician. <laughs> you need to ask your doctor. I only do pets. <laughs> yeah, I do, and I don't care if you have a spider for a pet. I'm not treating him. <laughs> right. no, there, you are not the is, client. Mm. There is definitely an element of that. I don't do exotics, and spiders would be more likely to terrify me than to, you know, be, ah, um, arachnophobia. My, there you yeah, go. Yeah. And I was laughing at your spider thing because, um, you know, I classify spiders into two types, the very well-behaved spiders, which are the little orb weavers that stay up in the corners and stuff, and then the not very well-behaved spiders that I find crawling around in places I might actually get them on me, and that... That yeah, is not that you might thing. frequent, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the ones up in the corner, at least they're like the supervisor. Everything's yes. cool here. That's yeah. good here. All these little guys I sent out, they'll get you. I guess that's pretty, <laughs> pretty much how the rest of us categorize spiders as well <laughs> in the non-academic yes. realm. So, Danielle, we want to talk about winter today. Um, we, uh, as humans, we do a number of things to get ready for winters. And snowbirds prepare by they going by going south. Some of us put on um, uh, garden chairs and stuff out, or others make an appointment to make their winter tires put on. And we want to know what we should be thinking about when it comes to winterizing for our pets. And you have some tips for us today. Are there pets that need more consideration around the winter time than others? Uh, for sure there are. You know, of course, 
pets that are strictly indoors, you know, they're, they're, they have this environment that doesn't change as much. So, you know, the changing seasons don't necessarily affect them as profoundly. So, I mean, a lot of times we're talking about pets that go outside, which is, you know, most dogs, because they're going to be going outside to, um, you know, do their business. And sometimes when people have outdoor cats, but, you know, the indoor pets like cage pets, guinea pigs, reptiles, you know, they, they don't really have too many changes. Um, the birds that go outdoors in an aviary, you know, might have to be confined indoors depending on the species. So, you know, we should always, of course, make sure they have a lot to do to keep them occupied when they don't have their little outdoor playground. And, you know, the only other thing about indoor pets that I'd be um, watching is, you know, um, some of the reptiles have specific um, times that they're supposed to be exposed to, you know, light to keep them healthy. So, you know, make sure you know what that is for the species you have. And if you have to adjust any artificial timers on your lights, if they're if you're using sunlight for part of that light. Um, consideration, then make sure you adjust those for the shrinking day length if you have to, Um, you know, so that's kind of, you know, the pets that I would be watching for changes for winterizing. Well, and I would imagine one of the things, Danielle, that comes to mind the most is thinking about being outdoors in the cold, right? For sure. And, you know, that's one thing to think about when we're thinking about our pet's health in the winter. Um, there are some dog breeds that very, that need very little additional help in the cold. I mean, if you own a northern breed dog like a Siberian Husky, a Malamute or a Samoyed, they have a huge, dense, fluffy coat, you know, and you can walk them in the winter without the need for any protective clothing um, to keep them warm in the cold but you know if you have a very short coated breed like a boxer or a very small breed with a short coat like a chihuahua for example um, you'll definitely want to get some winter gear for them Uh, the cold can be very uncomfortable for some of these guys especially if they're small and skinny Um, they have jackets and sweaters for dogs and boots that velcro on the legs around the legs to keep them warm Um, if you have these items from last year you know you're going to want to make sure you pull them out and they're still in good working order kind of like you do with your hats and mitts you know um and make sure they still fit you know if that jacket was a little snug last year <laughs> and your pet maybe put on some weight you might want to get a new one for this some, year. ironically Never winter happens. weight yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the winter weight yeah usually in the summer they're more active so hopefully that's not an issue but it's a good thing to check you know and just incidentally it's a good time to check over your harnesses and collars and leashes for wear and tear you know to make sure they're going to keep your dog secure and they're not going to break on you unexpectedly and you know for dogs with medium coats you know like beagles and labrador retrievers i mean use your judgment on whether you need to dress them for the cold or not they they might be fine until it gets really cold in january and maybe only need something for walks then yeah that's always a question in my house whether or not glasgow he's a doodle is going to get a haircut around the winter because does he need his hair does he not um because you know some of the breeds that have the longer hair protection from the cold but also do they actually get cold if you cut their hair yeah, I think a lot depends on the type of hair too, mm. you know, and, and I think the big thing is to, you know, to watch your pet's behavior, you know, if they're cold, you know, you they'll, they'll tell you. You'll know. You yeah. Know, and then you'll know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How long should we let our pets stay outside in the cold? 
Well, you know, when walking dogs in the winter, you know, um, I recommend you might think about a few things to decide how long to stay out. So, I mean, if you are uncomfortable in your winter gear, you know, your dog might be cold as well. So, um, we were just talking about, you know, signs of, you know, watching for signs that your dog's uncomfortable in the cold. So you might see that they're whining and complaining to go home. You know, they're trying to drag you back indoors. They might be shivering. They might be holding one paw up at a time when their Aww. feet are cold. You know, so if you're seeing these things, you know, they're cold, you know, take them home, maybe invest in some warmer, you know, winter gear for your pet so they can stay out long enough to get some much needed exercise in the future. Um, cats that go outdoors seem to have a lot of common sense, you know, in my experience. If they go to the door wanting out in the winter and you open it for them in a snowstorm, you know, you'll see those ears flat yes. back as the wind and snow hit them and their tail will start lashing, you know, and they'll usually decide, you know what, I'm not going out in that. Are you crazy? It's it's physical. It's palpable. They're like, no, thanks. It's, it's as if the very thought of it offends them, yes. you know, like yes. you could just see it in their body language. Totally. But, Having said that, you know, if your cat has no common sense, you know, keep them in on cold days and in bad weather and certainly never let them out if you're going to be away all day and no one's home to let them in. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. All right. So then my thought, my wonder is just some of the other things that we might have to consider once those cold months seep in, like tomorrow. <laughs> Well, you <laughs> That's know what it seems like. <laughs> I know. I was looking at the weather forecast and going, "Oh, freezing rain, really." Um, <laughs> but you know, for when the snow flies, you know, you actually want to beware of fluffy paws. You know, well, well, hairy feet will protect paws from the cold. They're actually also prone to getting snowballs. So this happens when snow sticks to the long hair and freezes there, and it forms these little ice balls that your pet is forced to walk on. You know, and like for a person, it would be like walking on marbles you know like you can imagine it, it can be uncomfortable so you know if you know your dog gets those in the snow maybe get um, a groomer to trim the hair on the bottom of the feet shorter or get your dog some boots to keep that snow from freezing to the hair on the feet um, if your dog has never had snowballs on their feet that you know of you can watch for signs of lameness when they're walking in the snow and sometimes if they get them when you get home you'll also see them licking chewing and pulling at their feet you know to, mm. to pull out those little bits of ice off the hair so you know you can kind of keep an eye out for that um, another issue I see in dogs a lot in the winter is red, itchy, and irritated skin on the feet from exposure to road salt. Um, boots will solve that problem too, of course, because um, they prevent the feet from being in contact with the salt. But for dogs that don't wear boots successfully, you know, you can keep a bucket of water by the door and wash their feet when they come back into the house just to get rid of that salt and dry them well afterward, you know. Um, we also have to be mindful of outdoor dangers to our pets in the winter time. So like us, you know, dogs sometimes like to walk on frozen rivers, lakes, and ponds. Um, they can go through the ice and, you know, God forbid, freeze to death or drown if the ice is too thin. Um, so really, it's best to keep your dog leashed and away from frozen water, you know, unless it's been deemed safe for people to walk on it. Mm. And, you know, so between now and, you know, the really cold months and in the spring, like that's probably the most important. And the last thing I'd mention is um, regarding the housing of dogs that actually live outdoors. Um, keeping dogs as outdoor pets is less and less common, but it's still allowed under the law. Um, it's vitally important that these dogs have all of their needs met, and that can be hard in the winter. You, may, mm -hmm. you have to make sure they have 
liquid water, which might mean having some kind of heated water bowl or access to an indoor heated space with water, and they have to have appropriate shelter. Um, the OSPCA actually has a brochure you can get um, that gives you ideas on how to build um, an ideal dog house. And, but they also say, you know, if the weather's really extreme, you may have to bring them in temporarily. And incidentally, they also have plans for how to build insulated shelters for feral cats out of Rubbermaid totes, insulation and tape. So if you have a feral cat colony near you, or if you support one, you know, you might wish to provide some shelter. Um, the only thing I'd say about that is be careful where you place it. You know, I have personally seen coyotes poking their noses oh. into these types of shelters looking for feral cats. Oh, no. So, oh, you know, make man. sure that that can't happen if you're putting those out. <laughs> Okay, yeah, because wow. that is very counterintuitive. Whoops. Um, what about health-related concerns, Daniela? Anything you want to tell us about that we should keep in mind? Um, I'd mentioned a common myth a lot of clients seem to have regarding tick prevention. Um, with exceptions, people generally seem to think that ticks are only a problem during the warmer months, so they only give the tick prevention during the heartworm season from June to November. Um, that isn't true. I actually see more ticks attached to um, pets in the early spring, like March through May, and in the late fall, November and December, than I do in August. Um, wow. I've also seen ticks on pets in January and February after a warm spell. So, you know, we don't get that consistently icy, deep, cold weather, you know, to keep your pets safe from ticks through the winter, um, you know, and so um, if you walk your pet through wooded areas or fields, you know, um, you should probably keep up your tick prevention strategies all year round. And of course, the last thing I'm going to mention is to pay attention to how much you're feeding your pet through the winter. If they're less active, make sure to reduce their food and keep weighing them. You know, we get that annual pattern of weight gain in the winter in a lot of pets. And not all of them lose all of that in the summer. Mm. <laughs> so we want to we heard make that, sure that before. We're not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so relatable. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Danielle, thank you so much. This is a great heads up. Uh, I know we have weekly visits with you, but a lot of things to consider before the weather starts getting extremely cold. Great. Okay, we'll see you next week. I'm obviously not Thanks, talking Danielle. about Toronto, if anybody was wondering. Extremely cold. That's a big statement. All right, Danielle Jonkine joins us on Tuesdays for Ask a Veterinarian. And every other week, we talk talk nutrition with Julia Caranches and today we want to get into good morning habits good morning routines to get us energized throughout the day this is Kelly and Remia we'll be right back stick around and learn something new Kelly and Remia return with more in a moment Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.